Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to the end of the chapter this morning. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes In the name of the Lord. Let's pray together for a moment before we continue. Father, thank you for your word, your word which is life-giving. Your word which um, reveals truth to us. Father, may our hearts and minds be open and attentive once again this morning uh, to hear what you want to say. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been um, with us over the past uh, weeks and months, you'll know that we are, we're, kind of, we're journeying with Jesus on his final journey to Jerusalem. It uh, began way back in chapter 9, and uh, really the rest of the gospel is this final journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. It's full of all kinds of uh, warnings and encouragements and challenges. And uh, here we've reached a point where Jesus is travelling through uh, Galilee, Uh, We know that because Herod is the king of Galilee and some Pharisees come to Jesus and give him a warning. Leave this place and go somewhere else. Uh, Often in the Gospels, when we come across the Pharisees, uh, they're having a really really hard time. Uh, Jesus is often uh, very critical of the Pharisees and often when we come across the Pharisees, it's because they're being very critical of Jesus. For lots of the Pharisees, Jesus doesn't fit their He doesn't fit their framework. He doesn't fit what they were expecting. Uh, Particularly, he doesn't obey their laws. And lots of the Pharisees are very critical of Jesus. But it's a useful reminder to us that not all of them are. Uh, There are lots of different kinds of Pharisees. And some are very critical, but some are wondering about Jesus. And some are actually quite supportive of Jesus. Remember in uh, Nicodemus in John Chapter 3, we read of Nicodemus, who's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's one of the Pharisees, and he comes to Jesus at night and says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So some of the Pharisees are, uh, you know, haven't dismissed Jesus. They may be wondering, they may be puzzled, but uh, they're, they're waiting and they're watching and they're thinking, well, maybe this Jesus, maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he is the one. So they come and they give him this warning, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Uh, or we, uh, remember, we noted when we started this chapter of uh, just what a brutal dictator Herod was. He is, um, uh, he's not a very good king. He's bloodthirsty. He's... Uh, stamps down very hard on anyone who opposes him. Uh, He doesn't like pretender kings, 
And uh, Jesus is beginning to get this reputation as someone who threatens Herod. So the warning is, Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus' immediate response is, go tell that fox. Go tell that fox. Uh, when we think of uh, you know, somebody being a fox, we think of them being sly and cunning and, uh, and all of that. And uh, 2,000 years ago, it had that sense. But also, if you called someone a fox, it meant they were worthless and insignificant. It's a very derogatory term to use of someone. Uh, so Jesus is, uh, you might think, well, not doing himself any favours. Um, if the rumour gets back to Herod that Jesus is calling him a fox, Herod is not going to take that very kindly. He's saying, you are, you know, you're worthless, you're insignificant, you are a trumped up king who doesn't deserve to be uh, where he is. He says, go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. Uh, Luke occasionally makes reference to things happening on the third day. Uh, and uh, unsurprisingly, it's quite a feature of, of the Gospels, things that happen on the third day. And for Luke, it's a bit of a theme. Uh, remember when Jesus is 12 years old and he goes up to the temple with his, uh, his parents and they lose him. Uh, they're they're, they're travelling back home, they realise he's not there, they go searching for him. And uh, on the third day, they find Jesus in the temple uh, with his father. And it's a significant moment because it's in that moment that we realise that, uh, that Jesus is the son of God. Because Jesus says, well, didn't you realise I would be in my father's house? And Mary said, you know, you know what were you doing? Don't you realise how, how worried your father and I were? And Jesus says, didn't you realise... I would be in my father's house. So it's a significant moment on the third day that there's this acknowledgement that Jesus has a divine father. At the end of the gospel, on the first day of uh, the resurrection, on that first Easter Sunday, when uh, the disciples are travelling on the road to Emmaus and Jesus comes and walks alongside them and they don't realise that it is Jesus and they fall into conversation and they're talking to him about the things that have happened over Good Friday And they say to him, it's now the third day since these things happened. So this is a reference on the third day to the resurrection. So Luke has it here as well. Jesus says, I'll drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. And it's a reminder to us that um, God is working out history according to his timetable and not ours. And nothing will stop God's purposes for history being worked out. It's a great encouragement to us and a great reminder to us that God is working his purposes out. There's a wonderful hymn that has that line. God is working his purposes out as year succeeds to year. The gospel begins, Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, Jesus comes and the first recorded words of Jesus are, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus says, the time has come. It's now. Whether you like it or not, God's kingdom is breaking into the world. Whether you like it or not, God is working his purposes out according to his timetable. Remember the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus uh, feeds 5,000 people, the miracle with five loaves and two fish. And in John's gospel, at the end of that uh, occasion, uh, there's a recognition that Jesus has done something 
miraculous, something wonderful. And many of the people who are there think he's the Messiah, he's the king. And they want to take him and forcibly make him king then. But it's not the right time. It's not the time for Jesus to be made king. So Jesus realises what they're going to do and walks away because it's not the right time. Jesus is working his purposes out according to his timetable, not ours. A couple of weeks ago, we were celebrating the feast of the ascension, Jesus ascending to his father. And what is it the angel says to the disciples as they're looking up to heaven? He says that Jesus will return in the way that you've seen him ascend into heaven. God is working out his purposes according to his timetable, not ours. And nothing will prevent that from happening. So it doesn't matter whether or not Herod decides that he wants to kill Jesus. It's not going to prevent Jesus arriving in Jerusalem. The challenge for us then is to recognise, well, if if, if God is working out his purposes, if God has a plan that he's working out, um, do I want to be caught up with him in the things that he's doing or do I want to be walking in the other direction? Uh, the writer to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, it's appointed for us to, uh, to live one life and then to die and then comes a judgment. God's working his purposes out. What side of that do we want to be on? Do we want to be caught up with God in the things that he's doing and walking in step with him uh, or do we want to be walking in the opposite direction? Uh, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Nothing is going to stop him. God is working out his purposes for creation. Nothing is going to stop him. The invitation is for us to be caught up in what he's doing. Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to reach my goal. I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jesus is very explicit about the fact that he's going to Jerusalem in order to die. Uh, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was pre-planned. Sometimes, um, in the moment, people make an an act of, of great sacrifice in order to save the life of another. Something happens and instinctively... They react with that impulse of self-sacrifice. I was, um, I, I read some months ago that there was a plane crash in uh, last October in Colombia. A private plane uh, went down, and on board the plane were obviously the the pilot, but there were uh, parents of a young baby, uh, the mother, the father, the nanny, and this little baby called Martin, who was just a few months old. Uh, and uh, there was a problem with the plane, and it crashed. And when the rescuers arrived on site, they found that all the adults had perished in the crash, but the baby was alive, cradled in his mother's arms, uh, because she had realised in the moment that uh, probably she was going to lose her life, and so she had used her own, uh, her own body to shield the baby from the impact of the crash, and the baby had survived. Sometimes instinctively, that's what we do as human beings, we sacrifice ourselves on behalf of another. And we see that in Jesus. But what we also see in Jesus is that he knew long in advance that when he arrived in Jerusalem, it was going to happen. It wasn't just an instinctive act of self-sacrifice. It was, it was pre-planned. 
It was long planned. Remember when we started this final journey to Jerusalem back in chapter 9 verse 51. We read uh, that Jesus set his face for Jerusalem. He set his face. You set your face to do something that you know is going to be unpleasant. You set your face to do something that you know has got to be done, but you don't particularly want to do it. Jesus set his face for Jerusalem. He knew when he was going to get there that he was going to die. You know, we've worshipped this morning and we've we've worshipped because this is our, you know, this is our Jesus. This is his character. He went to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to die. Why? Because he loves you. He loves each one of us. That's why he did it. It wasn't just an, an instinctive act in the moment of I must do this in order to save you. It was long planned. Long planned because that was the only thing that could be done in order to save us. And then Jesus um, uh, speaks this lament over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. There's two sort of really contrasting things um, in this verse. Uh, the contrast, firstly, with just this, this beautiful picture of the character of God, the character of Jesus. He says, I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Why would a hen want to gather her chicks under her wings? Well, it's because they're in danger. It's because they're facing danger. It's a protective thing. But it's also a self-sacrificial thing. Uh, one of the occasions when a hen would, uh, would gather her chicks under her wings is because there is a fire and there's no means of escape. Uh, on occasion when there's been a fire um, uh, in a farmyard, uh, live chicks have been found nestled under the wings of the hen who has lost her life in the fire and been burnt to death. But the chicks have survived because the hen has gathered them under her wings. It's, it's a kind of an instinctive act of self-sacrifice. And that's the picture that Jesus uses. What an amazing picture of the love that God has for us. I've just, again, um, had more comments on some of my turn the page um, Facebook posts this week, which just reveal such um, misunderstanding of the nature of God. I I read them and um, it just it breaks my heart at the misunderstanding that there is. I have to say that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm human, and sometimes you have that instinctive kind of human reaction when someone puts up a, a comment and you. And you, there's a bit of you that just wants to kind of duff them up. Because uh, you just think, oh, for goodness sake, how can you be so... But then there's... Then, just being honest. But then grace. Grace kicks in. And, uh, and, and love kicks in. And, you, and my heart just... It just kind of weeps. Because I just think it's... You've, you've, you've misunderstood. You've misunderstood the nature of God. And, you know, some of the comments are, you know, people are looking at coronavirus and all the rest of it and say, well, you know, if God's so great, why doesn't he do something? And, you know, you know, but this is the character of God. 
As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. That's what he longs. Mm. You know, that's what he longs to do. That's his heart. It's his heart of love for each one of us. That's his character. And here's the tragedy. Here's the tragedy. That's the heart of God. That's what Jesus has wanted to do. But you were not willing. You were not willing. You were not willing. Um, remember the introduction to um, in, at the beginning of John's gospel. Uh, this is John's testimony about Jesus. He says, Jesus was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. That's the problem. The world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own did not receive him. That's the, you know, that's the great tragedy. God comes in this way with this heart of love. Uh, but he says, you were, not, you were not willing. You were not willing. Uh, remember when the, um, the Israelites were free, free from slavery in Egypt. And God says, I'm going to you know, rescue you from 400 years of slavery. Uh, and I'm going to lead you into the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey, a land where you will be, uh, you'll be free. And when they arrive on the borders of this promised land, uh, Moses sends um, 12 spies to scout out the promised land. Uh, and 12 spies go in and they, they kind of scout out the promised land and they see that it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's an amazing place. It's a prosperous place. But they also see there are going to be difficulties. They see there are people already living there. There are giants in the land. And so these 12, they come back and they give a report to Moses. And 10 of the 12 give a bad report. 10 of the 12 say, well, well yeah, it, it, it looks good, but, but there, there are giants. And if we go in, they're, gonna, you know, they're, going, to, they're going to kill us. They weren't, they weren't willing They weren't willing to enter the promised land. And because of that bad report, the Israelites spent another 40 years wandering around the wilderness. And that entire generation never get to inherit the promised land. An entire generation loses out. Why? Because they weren't willing. They weren't willing to to enter the land that God had promised to them. So why? Uh, Why are we not willing when God is this, when God is, this is his character, that he longs to gather us together, when he longs to lead us into a promised land, where, G- where Jesus has said, I've come to bring life and life in all its fullness, fullness. Why are we not willing? Why do we hesitate to enter into that promised land? Why do we hesitate to enter into the fullness of life that God has for us? Let me suggest two, two reasons why we might hesitate. Uh, firstly, Uh, We have enthroned ourselves. Uh, We have enthroned ourselves. And in order order to be willing to come into the fullness of life that God has for us, we have to dethrone ourselves and give him his rightful place. We have to put him on the throne. And the problem with our human hearts is they've grown hard and grown reluctant to do that. We like being independent of God. It's the the great tragedy of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They enthroned themselves and then their hearts started to become hard towards God. And it's part of our human nature that our hearts have grown hard. We put ourselves on the throne 
And we don't want to surrender that throne. We live with the misapprehension that we can do things better on our own. And that's why we're not willing to come to God. That's why we're not willing to surrender. Because we have exalted ourselves. Uh, But the problem is when we exalt ourselves, um, things generally don't go well because, well, we're, we're simply, we're not God. When we exalt ourselves, we become inward looking and we become selfish. It's like a mirror that's turned in on itself. Instead of reflecting the image of God in which we were created, uh, we just reflect ourselves. We become selfish. And uh, the evidence for that is writ large around us. It's on our news every day. Uh, That's why we're not willing. We don't want to give up the throne that we've placed ourselves on. And also I think we're not willing, as I mentioned before, is because we, we misapprehend the nature of God. We, uh, you know, why did the people of God not enter the promised land first time around? Hmm. Uh, it was a lack of trust. They didn't trust God. God had said, I'm going to deliver you into this promised land. They took a look, thought, oh, don't like the look of that. Don't like all of those enemies. And they didn't trust God. They didn't believe his promise. There's an occasion back in um, the story of Gideon in Acts chapter, uh, chapter 6, which illustrates how we so often uh, misapprehend the nature of God. Uh, in Judges chapter 6, the people of God are being um, brutally oppressed by the Midianites, uh, one of their great enemies. And year after year, the Midianites come up and slaughter them. And then uh, eventually God, um, God hears the cries of his people and responds and sends an angel. And the angel comes and talks to Gideon. And Gideon's explanation for what has gone wrong is this. He says, the Lord has abandoned us. That's why we're in a mess. The Lord has abandoned us. And sometimes uh, in our own lives, when things go wrong, that's Our explanation. The Lord has abandoned us. That's why things are in a mess. And as soon as you start to think like that, well then of of course you're not going to put your trust in a God like that. If you think that God is capable of abandoning you, uh, then you're not going to trust such a God. What's God's explanation for what has gone wrong? A bit earlier on in uh, Judges 6 verse 10 Uh, God says, I'm the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. That's God's alternative explanation for why they're in a mess. He says, uh, Gideon says, you've abandoned us. Uh, God says, "Uh, no, Uh, you didn't listen to me. You didn't listen to me. That's why we end up in a mess, because we're, we're not willing. We're not willing to listen. We're not willing to come to him we've put ourselves on the throne we've exalted ourselves we don't want to respond and what a tragedy when we when we do that verse 35 uh, jesus gives the conclusion because they're not willing look your house is left you desolate your house is left you desolate they had the opportunity to respond we have the opportunity to respond But if we don't, Jesus says, well, your house will be left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he. In other words, until until you're willing to recognise who I am, until you're willing to surrender, until you're willing to submit to me as your King of Kings and your Lord of Lords. That's the thing. As we uh, we looked at in the last couple of weeks, it's 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 the failure of the people of God to do that that leads to the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple because they can't recognise the Son of God who is there in their midst. So are we, are we willing, are we willing to respond to the love of God who invites us? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 27, one of the uh, um, as, as Moses is, is preparing to die, it's, it's a series of blessings to the people of God. And he reminds them of this. He says, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. That's our God. That's our God. That's the one who gathers us together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings are we willing to trust God with whatever may be going on in our lives today are we willing to dethrone ourselves and put him back on the throne uh, let's, um, let's take a moment uh, to reflect and to pray together uh, perhaps a moment to respond in Uh, repentance a moment just to say to the Lord Jesus Lord we are uh, put you on the throne I surrender myself to you afresh this morning